So hi, welcome to Scope It Out, the official podcast of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology. I'm your host today, Dr. Amber Luong from the McGovern Medical School at the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston. Today, I have Drs. Deviani Lal and Tripti Brar from Mayo Clinic in Phoenix, Arizona. So hi, Deviani. Hi, Tripti. Thank you for joining me today on this uh, podcast and uh, to discuss your paper entitled Biologic Sex as a Moderator in Rhinologic Anatomy, Physiology and Pathology, a Skilton Review. So first of all, congratulations. This is awesome. It's a very nice review. I really enjoyed reading it. But before we get started, just to give our listeners a little bit of background, can you tell us who you are and how you became interested in this subject? Deviani, we'll start with you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Luong. It's an honor to be invited to do this podcast, and we certainly enjoy the ones that you have had with other authors, and it's very insightful uh, in a very encapsulated form. So my name is Deviani Lal, and I am Professor and Division Chief of Rhinology at Mayo Clinic in Arizona. I have been uh, practicing rhinology for over 13 years and have a strong interest in biological differences based on sex, as well as the pathophysiology of chronic rhinosinusitis amongst other pathologies that we take care of. Tripti? Yes. Hi. Thank you for having me on this. I'm thrilled to be here and uh, I've had a chance to listen to some of these episodes. They're really exciting. A uh, little bit background about myself. I'm an otolaryngologist from India and uh, I've been at Mayo Clinic for the last year and a half doing a research fellowship in rhinology. Uh, Dr. Lal has been my mentor and it's been great to see some of her previous work where where. Uh, that they've looked at differences in CRS, um, pathophysiology outcomes, disease burden uh, based on sex. So uh, that got me jump started on this project when Dr. Lal suggested it. Well, great. So, Deviani, what got you interested specifically? Like, I know you mentioned that you were interested, but was there a particular patient that you saw or some observations that you made? Um, can you give us some background on, on your interest on this particular topic? Absolutely. And before I do that, I'd like to acknowledge our first author, Shreya Ram Kumar, who um, is our mentee and medical student who worked on this manuscript and couldn't be here. I think um, a aha moment for me came when I was treating a lady with massive AFS that had pretty significant skull-based erosion. And uh, the question came uh, that she had to deliver a baby uh, in a few months after surgery. And uh, she was obviously not pregnant when I operated on her. And, and I started thinking about whether with that sort of bony erosion, going through a natural childbirth with all the associated increase in intracranial pressure would be safe for her. So... I looked at the literature and I couldn't find guidelines. And um, we started looking at experts to help us with that. And, and that's been published before as guidelines um, in pregnancy for rhinitis and sinusitis management. The, the other aspect um, of why I started looking at these differences is oftentimes, and Amber, you've been part of these discussions of 
um, at, at panel discussions at our meetings where we would have um, in the old days people sitting around a table and presenting a case about how someone who was a 30-something-year-old female with facial pain was never cured by sinus surgery. And it would be mostly um, comments about how these individuals had depression and headaches and were stressed. And I thought to myself, is that what it is? Is that is that all that is to it, right? So, you know, is it gender? Is it biological sex? Because those are two different things we are talking mm -hmm. about. Gender is a social construct. Biological sex has meaningful differences that we can observe and some of those that drive uh, physiology and pathology in our body. So that's how it all started. And uh, we wrote up some papers on SNOT-22 scores, which is purely a patient-reported outcome, looking at CT scan scores in, in patients that were undertaking sinus surgery uh, to see what the differences were in scores of SNOT-22. And that's um, those studies are referenced uh, in this manuscript. We found that females in general had higher uh, SNOT-22 scores in, in certain subdomains that were non-rhinologic, but the magnitude of improvement after surgery in females and males was equal. So both sexes did equally well. Having said that, uh, there was higher baseline scores uh, in females, and and there may be various reasons. And and uh, biological sex, being female, comes with a lot of societal and social obligations and other constructs that are non-related to sex. So I think this has been fascinating to me, and uh, that's how it all started. Well, great. I, you know, actually, that's a, a really great case to think about. I've seen, you know, I've had similar situations, less so an allergic fungal, but, you know, thinking about someone, a pregnant woman who has chronic rhinosinusitis, the timing of their surgery and so forth. So, But I, I think that particular case is a really fascinating one um, to think about, you know, the elevated intracranial pressures that may come with um, with delivering. So, you know, to start with, what exactly in, in your title, you have a scoping review. And I guess I've, that's the first time I've come across that verbiage. What exactly is a scoping review versus like a systematic review? Is there something different? Tripti, what are your yeah. thoughts? So uh, we would call this a scoping review. Firstly, we we did think about whether to go ahead with a systematic review versus a scoping review. But because the the, uh, the concept uh, and everything that we wanted to capture, there were so many multiple things, uh, not just CRS, but say epidemiology, disease burden, outcomes, um, other rhinologic conditions, the anatomy, pathophysiology. So it was it was kind of a wide topic. And mm -hmm. uh, to do a systematic review with such a wide topic and such several uh, all databases and have all those terms, we, we were afraid we could miss out something. So we decided to, to fo focus on things that would be important to a rhinologist, starting with anatomical differences, uh, then pathophysiological differences, because differences in, say, how they respond to treatments, uh, intranasal corticosteroids or other treatments. And then, of course, when it comes down to the clinic, uh, differences in incidence of CRS or um, uh, the disease burdens, not 22 scores, then outcomes after surgery, uh, even uh, endoscopic sinus surgery utilization. Um, olfaction, olfactory dysfunction that we see in clinics, epistaxis. So we we narrowed down things that uh, that we could do uh, a search on, and we decided to limit it to PubMed. 
and uh, limited to these strategies. So while we did follow the systematic review, uh, a diagram, a Prisma diagram, and that's how we got down to our ultimate articles that, that we have in this review. Uh, but it does not capture everything that a systematic review does. And we do m mention that as one limitation of the study, that there might be certain studies out there that do look at some gender differences, uh, but uh, they were not captured in this because uh, that was not the aim of the study that was done. Oh, great. Well, that well, that's good to know. Thank you. And that makes a lot of sense. And and so one of the things you did highlight, you know, when I was going through the paper is that you do cover quite a few areas. And the three uh, areas that you specifically uh, focused on was, you know, anatomy, uh, anatomical differences, physiological differences and pathological differences between male and female uh, sexes. Were there, you know, because it's just so much, this article, review article is so rich, I guess, were there any, let's start with any surprise findings. Um, maybe, Deviani, any surprise findings that, that came out of this review? So first of all, um, I'd just like to reiterate what uh, Tripti said uh, about the scoping review, because basically this scoping review just lays out an exploration map. And we're systematically mapping the literature according to key topics that we think are pertinent to the practice of rhinology. And then we cite evidence. And I think that this review is, is actually an open invitation to anyone whose interest is piqued by what they read to look at those certain subtopics with a systematic review. And so with that, um, were there any surprises? Of course, the more you read, and, and as Tripti mentioned, I was just, as I was preparing for this talk, I, I was looking at a, a paper that just was published a couple of years ago on polyps and how polyps have a higher um, number of estrogen receptors and how these estrogen receptors get downregulated by the use of um, uh, corticosteroids. So there is a lot of interesting literature out there um, that is coming out, but I don't think we've yet organized it in, in a systematic fashion or explored it. And so um, were they things that made sense? Yes, because sporadically through the literature, you have a sense, especially if you're a bit interested in the topic, yes. Um, but I think what is surprising overall is that we haven't really invested a whole lot of work into this, mm -hmm. this field, which is biological sex. So if you look at estrogen receptor, we are, you know, all the TV ads said estrogen receptor positive, HER2 negative, blah, blah, blah. We know that certain estrogen receptors have an impact on homeostasis and disease survival, right? And mm -hmm. so why don't we pay attention uh, to this topic? We know that as we grow older, especially as females, we can experience our physiology of the nose changing, right? Yes. And Amber, as a mom, you know that better than anyone else and like you, Tripti. But the investment in research is curtailed by a couple of things. One, I don't think that we are a small subspecialty. And there are still some very fundamental questions regarding CRS pathophysiology that remain unanswered. And so 
to study the impact of hormones and biological sex is a little bit harder. But I think we're now at a foundational level where we need to add on the layer of studying biological sex and differences in, in phenotypes, in disease expression, in, in response to treatment, et cetera. Carl Philpott um, did a study several years ago, I think it's over a decade, where he sampled nasal mucosa from subjects that were coming to see them for a tonsillectomy or something and didn't really find a difference in um, estrogen receptor um, type 1 and progesterone receptor in, in males and females. But they found that if you had higher number of estrogen receptor type 2, or um, then you had a increased score, a worsened score on your quality of life, rhinitis quality mm. of life. So there are some interesting things that we don't understand very well. And as I said, there is a whole body uh, of literature that can be explored and then inform us in terms of research trials. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I, I didn't come across that paper that you were referencing. Um, so, you know, the another sort of related topic that you bring up just briefly, again, you guys cover so much in this review. One of the things that you talk about is, you know, number one, um, res uh, I guess, response to topical medications um, in terms of whether or not someone would be able to, because of these differences in these muscarinic adrenergic receptors, that they may have different responses to medications. Um, and then the other one that you, you bring up is the fact that, um, CRS with nasal polyps, the prevalence was higher in males, or at least those, the, the papers that are currently published higher in males, but you sort of alluded to this estrogen receptor and associated with polyps. And then you also made some allusions to, you know, autoimmunity. Um, and, uh, well, you made some, uh, the there's research that has been done looking at autoimmunity associated with CRS with nasal polyps. And typically when we see manifestations of autoimmune disease, those are more commonly found in women and kind of middle-aged women. Um, so it, you know, to your point, it's such a complex area that needs further evaluation. But let me start with that topic. Is, is there any literature or any specific data that suggests that because of these differences in these receptors, that maybe patients would respond, women or females would respond differently to a particular topical medication that we're utilizing for either rhinitis or chronic rhinosinusitis? It's, it's possible, Amber, and that's what is so exciting about this field is so much is unknown and yet to be discovered. But I will make a point about the prevalence of nasal polyps. When you look at these studies that have described that uh, uh, the baseline characteristics of all these subjects when they were undertaking sinus surgery. So that in itself is a qualifier, meaning that patients who present to you and you take them for surgery, more of them appear to be men uh, and many more females um, uh, that have CRS without polyps undergo surgery. I don't know why, why those differences exist, but I think I there's a whole um, subfield of literature about access to surgery. And oftentimes when you talk about, is there a surgeon bias? Maybe, maybe not, right? You see a patient, they have disease, you will offer surgery, right? Right. Or maybe if they say, oh, yeah, I have lots of facial pain and you're like, OK, no, no, no. And we know that pain is higher, um, uh, is, a, is a symptom that is reported by more females. Having said that, there are there is a lot of robust literature and in, in quality of life disease processes where 
there is a certain bias in offering surgery. And there is literature to suggest that females are offered knee replacements at a more severe stage of the disease than men are. Mm-hmm. And, and that even goes for transplants, that females have to have a higher MEL score before they are offered a transplant for livers. So there is a bias, and I'm not saying that this that exists within our field, but I, I also think that when you see that the prevalence of sinusitis is higher in the middle ages, and, and we see more and more sinus disease in younger people now, but in general, it's a disease that manifests in the middle age. Mm-hmm. Middle-aged women are the caregivers of the United States, whether it's child care or elder care. And I mm-hmm. think that um, so I, I, I don't think that that disparity in access has been um, evaluated. And if you look at statistical differences, there is no such statistical differences. But having said that, to me, it, not, it does not make sense that if studies said the prevalence of CRS may be higher in females, which, again, is disputable because some of it is just confusing with migraines. Why is it that we have an equal number of males and females undergoing surgery for this condition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 so the other aspect that I think that we must also pay attention to is association of systemic um, disorders such as autoimmunity in many of our subjects. So that if you have florid polyposis, are we, you know, looking for things like eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangitis? known as, you know, Churk-Strauss vasculitis, right? Mm-hmm. Are we doing that uh, screening um, uh, very well or not? And we know that CRS and type 2 disorders do in sometimes, um, at times, go hand in hand. So um, I don't know if I answered your questions um, or left you with more questions. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, no, you bring up a very good point. So you turned my question on its head, meaning that, you know, with CRS, with nasal polyps, and, it's a, and we know that there is an association sometimes with autoimmune and it's more prevalent <laughs> in women, maybe we should do more screening for these particular autoimmune diseases, especially in our female patients when they present with CRS with nasal polyps. And that's a very interesting perspective. Um, Oh, go ahead. I just wanted to add and clarify, because if you look at the uh, prevalence data of sinusitis, not necessarily CRS, and if you look at the National Health Interview Surveys, Mm -hmm. the diagnosis of sinusitis is higher, you know, 12, 13% in females and about 8, 9% in males. And this is where somebody calls your household and says, hey, anyone had sinusitis in the last one year? And somebody says, yes. And that's what it says. Now we said, okay, acute sinusitis really shouldn't have, at least to our knowledge, um, a gender uh, or sex predisposition, predilection, I don't know. Uh, Migraines Mm -hmm. and other disorders certainly do. But if you look at um, physician uh, diagnosed CRS, most of the reports, if even if you look at um, big studies that have looked at uh, Geisinger Health Systems database, et cetera. These are patients that have undergone surgery, mm-hmm. right? And that's how the division occurs. Um, more more males undertaking surgery for CRS with polyps, more females for CRS without polyps. So there is a difference. And I think we need to make sure that that's the baseline <coughs> demographic. These are people undertaking surgery. Is that correct, Tripti? Did I phrase that correctly? No, absolutely. And, and I just wanted to add... Uh, 
on that i think with uh, with differences seen between males and females it's also important to see in the context of age of females since we all know that females go through so many changes from puberty and then on to menopause so uh, a lot of studies that looked at these differences and that's an area of further research a uh, gap in the current knowledge is that they are not stratified by age so while we are looking at these dif differences it would be great to also stratify them by age and uh, know what those differences how they relate to with the menopausal or the menstrual cycle uh, and changes of women and 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 add to that uh, is also that there are certain low level uh, evidence to support that there is more substance p of uh, in females in, who have higher SNOT22 scores. There's more tryptase in tissues. So I, at some point, I think we're laying this all out because somebody who is smart, smarter at least than me, um, needs to build that story. Somebody who understands pain, somebody who understands smell. What are these differences? What are the mechanisms? And how do these um, physiologically manifest in the healthy nose, because that will help us manage the pathophysiology as it manifests with certain disorders, where there's more nasal congestion, drainage, smell loss, et cetera, because we could harness knowledge of those differences and use a different diagnostic and therapeutic approach. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, one area that you just brought up was olfaction. Um, you know, there's so much out there that, and you mentioned some of the limitations of some of these studies, but one finding that seemed to be consistent when I was reviewing the papers was that um, females tend to have a, a better uh, olfaction identification than males. Um, and it seemed like consistently over and over, at least six or seven of your articles that said that same story. Um, and, you know, just going through pregnancy, I, you know, not recently, but having had gone through that and and knowing that that was one significant change that um, that was very obvious to me when I was pregnant before and after pregnancy, you know, I guess physio, just just for fun. I mean, what what is the purpose? What do you think? Why is there a is there a, a purpose for females to have that increased sense of smell or identification? Is that potentially to help identify our young, to help, um, you know, is there some sort of physiologic reason to have these some of this difference, at least for olfaction? So I, I, I say it's a whole body of literature on olfaction, um, especially as it relates to primates, right? And so the olfactory sense is the oldest sense that we as humans possess. Um, and it is a primitive sense of protection. So mm. um, we, most of us in the modern era associated it, associate that sense of smell with pleasures like taste, uh, you know, perfumes, smell of fruit, flavors, etc. But it helped the, uh, the uh, humans of the past to identify um, bad food fire, smoke, et cetera, and keep away from that. So it's a protective smell in itself. Um, and then we also know that uh, in, in at least um, mammals and primates, there is an important aspect related to pheromones. So as mm -hmm. we know, um, uh, th that th there may be some pheromonal uh, responses uh, that may be important or may have been important in our history as we evolved. Um, I don't know. Um, I also think that uh, the hormonal changes that are associated with the life cycle of a female 
are probably the ones that are associated with increased sense of smell. And as we lose uh, some of these female sex hormones, estrogen, et cetera, we lose our ability to smell as well. I mean, if you look at um, uh, the the difference in uh, men and women in perception of smell only exists in the 18 to 50 years of age. Mm, yeah. So um, that's when the hormones are probably at the peak level <laughs> and then we then we actually decline. Yeah, and then, I think that those hormones do have some sort of regenerative effect to the nose. We know that because some in the old days people would spray estrogen for atrophic rhinitis, etc. Uh, people have used estrogen for management of noses and HHT, um, etc. And if you look at nosebleeds, and Tripti, you can talk about the nosebleed data as well. That if you if you're a female in that 18 to 50 years of age, you're protected from nosebleeds. But after that, you know you can start having nosebleeds as frequently as men. Absolutely. And and this could be in differences due to sex hormones, uh, along with other factors like uh, incidence of hypertension. Uh, but like you were talking about olfaction, how consistently uh, olfactory identification was better in uh, females. And like Dr. Lal mentioned, this was specifically seen in the 18 to 50 year age group. Also, interestingly, post-fest, the improvement in olfaction was better in females as compared to males uh, in both the studies that we found that looked at uh, olfaction after uh, endoscopic sinus surgery. So they also, yeah, so so that's interesting to see that the improvement was also better in females. Oh, great. Well, um, I'm going to end with one last question because, you know, we could go on forever talking about the different uh, the various differences that you found in your in-depth review. But one of the things that you started out this conversation with, Deviani, was the fact that this is sort of a springboard, an invitation for more in-depth research. I guess, um, I you know, where would you, where's where where would you say was the most important or a couple of important areas of of research going forward? You sort of mentioned one of them, but can you highlight others and which ones would you consider like highest priority for future research based on some of the findings that you guys um, uncovered and discussed? To me, I think the most important is to study the effects of sex hormones. I think that's an easy way to get started. There's also some early data um, or good data from asthma. Some studies suggest that they're even using a sex hormone treatment for severe asthma. The other, so there's much to learn from the asthma literature, but also looking at the CF literature, cystic fibrosis literature, um, which is a disease in which the sinuses may be affected. There are huge differences in morbidity and mortality, uh, secondary to pseudomonas infections, et cetera, uh, in females. And the third factor that I think we should all be cognizant about is the impact of smoking and how that's going to increase the uh, epidemiology of CRS and how it presents, because more females are smoking than males in the younger population. The growth um, in smokers is mostly in uh, those uh, that are females of of the female sex. So uh, interesting. I think that those are probably things that would probably have a more earlier translational impact into patient care and uh, would probably get funded in a in a less difficult manner because all funding is difficult. 
<laughs> Tripti, what about you? Any particular um, research highlight priorities that uh, that that you you're considering or you're thinking about when after completing this in-depth review? Um, yes, absolutely. So uh, in my time here at Mayo, I've also had the chance to be a part of epigenetic studies and DNA methylation studies, which we also presented at the last annual meeting. And interestingly, we found beta estradiol as a top upstream regulator that differed between uh, CRS subjects and controls. So this, though this hasn't been uh, published before or known before, at least in epigenetic studies, but it's, it's interesting to see how potential Potentially, beta estradiol uh, could be responsible for some of those changes in gene expression between chronic sinusitis and controls. So, uh, uh, currently, I'm just uh, we we are also doing another DNA methylation study, and I'm hoping to find something similar, something that will take me a little further in uh, you know looking at those differences, uh, sex differences through an epigenetic study. Well, great. Well, that is. <laughs> Go ahead, Debbie. Last comment. I was of just going to say, as I as I was watching you on Zoom, and and our listeners won't have the opportunity to do so, I could see that expression of intrigue in, on your face, Amber, and ideas that are just bubbling and bursting in your brain. So I could <laughs> see that spark, and I hope that that's what this scope it out podcast will do for our readers as well, our listeners. Absolutely. I mean, I think that you really, you know, highlighted um, some really interesting, fascinating areas, you know, the whole epigenetic regulation that may happen, the whole translation about how hormones um, affect uh, different uh, responses in the nose we didn't we had we had very not enough time to really kind of glean all the observations that you guys have found um but the you know the the subject of olfaction and clearly differences um that happen in pregnancy uh with women really solidify and, and you know tell you that there's definitely some differences between male and females uh, within the nose. It's just how do we define that and how does that translate to taking care of our patients? We yet to understand. So thank you guys for such a great review. Fascinating read. I hope everyone out there gets a chance to pick it up. It's, it's in the early view section, so it hasn't yet been officially published. But if you go to early view, you'll find you'll find it and are able to download it as in a PDF form. So uh, again, Dr. Lal, Dr. Uh, Barar, thank you so much for your time and your expertise in this area. And I appreciate uh, everything that you guys have done. And and uh, we look forward to hearing about some of the uh, additional methods studies that you're working on. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us.